Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this monthly Market Insights, Phil Attreed, Head of Wealth Specialists, talks to Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, about recent interest rate rises, the latest on Ukraine and China's COVID outbreak. Hello and welcome to the May episode of Monthly Market Insights. I'm Phil Attreed, Barclays Head of Wealth Specialists, and once again I'm joined by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer. Now, you know, it appears we're set to remain in a relatively disorientating period uh, for the world economy and for the investment markets that reflect uh, what is a rapidly evolving outlook. Central bankers uh, are raising interest rates in a way that we haven't been seeing for decades, as the battle obviously against inflation has stepped up several notches in recent months. So much so that actually you know, many are now worrying about any sort of forthcoming or the next recession. So we'll talk a little bit about that today, Will. Uh, also the latest on Ukraine and obviously the evolving situation with uh, China's COVID outbreak uh, as well. So if maybe we start with the central bank piece, we've had the Bank of England and the Fed raising interest rates this week. You're even seeing interest rate rises drawn nearer in Europe as well, Will. You know, have we learned much f- new from this information over this week or so? Oh, it's a good question, Phil. Uh, a good starter for one, as they say. I mean, you're right in your introduction, just saying, you know, viewing, as you and I know well, you know, we've said this before, but viewing markets through the prism, through viewing the world through the prism of capital markets is a disorienting experience at the best of times. And these are not they. But from a central banking perspective, you know, let's start there, like you say. I mean, in the US, there was a bit of very, very short-lived relief that the central bankers didn't go with a 75 basis point. They just went with a 50 basis point rise in rates. And that really just illustrates, just that point alone illustrates how far we've traveled in terms of rate expectations so far this year. It, It continues as a result to be a horrible period for government bond investors, traumatic even, really a a change in what most government bond experiences have, investors have experienced for the last few decades. In the US, you are likely to see more coming as well. I mean, there are still more 50 basis point rate hikes expected. And as we've been discussing on Word on the Street, there are there are maybe some signs in the US that inflation is peaking a little bit. You know, certainly you are going to see over the summer some incredibly muscular forces trying to drag inflation back towards the ground a little bit. Certainly those, as we lap those, uh, the effects of those stimulus checks, um, that should be a significant kind of influence pulling inflation forces down. However, the big question really at the moment is, you know, amongst bond investors and central bankers a little bit, is to what extent will the US central bank accept slightly higher than uh, previously uh, seen inflation in order to avoid crashing the economy. And this, like you say, is the, is the other big market narrative at the moment. Are all these interest rates, um, are they going to run the economy into the sand, US and global? And, you know, I know we're humble enough uh, not to make any hard predictions here, but, you know, are we seeing any chances of the next recession evolve? Is that something that you and the t- investment team are, are sort of looking at, thinking about? You know, we hear lots of... Cr- yeah seemingly credible commentators talking about how you know it's unlikely that we can avoid a recession you know, given both the interest rate rises that we've had but also those that, that many are obviously predicting in the months ahead yes i mean one of the many lessons you might take from the last few years you and i is that you know you don't want to get too busy kind of rubbernecking the 
political and economic accidents in the road ahead. What will be, will be. And you've kind of, you know, the, the investment markets don't always behave as you might expect in those circumstances. And anyway, at the moment, you know, the point we'd make to clients, as you know, is that, you know, that your your eyeline should be well above the next recession if it's a year away, let's say. But, you know, I think on this point specifically, yes, you know, interest rates are a very blunt tool and usually do come with lots of unintended consequences. So some indication of that could be seen in the fact that actually since the 1980s, you know, that was when you saw, you know, the so-called Volcker shock. So Paul Volcker, the legendary central banker in the US, tamed inflation by raising interest rates to 20%. Now, since then, actually, you've seen there's not much kind of, you know, much of the kind of co-movement that you might expect or the, the uh, much of the relationship you might expect with regards to interest rates and inflation. You know, you might expect that interest, as interest rates rise, it inflation falls because that's the intention uh, of interest rates. They're meant to kind of slow aggregate demand uh, and re-plug aggregate demand into aggregate supply, the available supply in the economy, and so get price pressures uh, under control a little bit, get everything traveling in equilibrium. But actually, you find, weirdly, that inflation and interest rates have often traveled in the same direction for periods of time. So you can find that rising interest rates comes with rising inflation. Now, the point here, again, is a little bit of humility, because what you can find is that, uh, you know, interest rates can, for a load of reasons, affect both demand and supply. And therefore, the relationship is really complicated. And I think what you're seeing at the moment in the US, that's the other thing to bear in mind, is it's not gentle. This is not kind of the interest rate rises we've become used to in the last few decades. This is something, you know, the, the Federal Reserve is, you know, trying to engineer a materially tighter monetary backdrop in quite a short space of time. You know, demand for everything has to cool quite rapidly, workers included. So you will, should see unemployment rise and those kind of things. So yes, there are risks and there's many kind of very garlanded names talking about the risks of, uh, uh, of a recession. But as an investor, I guess the key point we get to, and I'm sorry, waffly long answer as usual, but the key point is what do we do as investors? Now, I think there's probably two things, you know, one, and again, this is a point we've made before, but this is where the word recession is not that useful. It's similar to kind of cake or dog. There's many types of dogs and cakes, some friendly, some less so. In both cases, it simply doesn't tell us that much useful for an investor because the word refers to such a broad range of experience from the economic horrors of 07, 08 to, to recessions, which don't really even have a name because they're statistical only. We can take some consolation from the fact that the worst recessions in the past have tended, not always tended, to be preceded by a build-up in kind of economic excess, and therefore you need the kind of purgatory forces of a uh, of a recession to come along and kind of correct those imbalances. That's not the case, and we see it right now. So actually, which gives you on to your second point, the U.S. and this is remember the the motor for the you know the keystone for the world economy, the most important sort of capitalist economy by a mile. The U.S. enters this period still in really very robust health with lots going for it, particularly the private sector, you know, companies and businesses. The balance sheet health is sensational. So, you know, you have got a lot going for it, but it's a complicated time for investors. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, what you're seeing in the bond market at the moment, which I think is so interesting, is that you're seeing investors suddenly start to look at compensating longer term lenders to the government for a bit more risk of inflation, which is you know, an important moment, I think. Sorry, long-winded answer, but hopefully you get the idea. Don't worry, focus on other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll remember the analogy anyway, the cake and the dog analogy, but... It's the two things on my mind, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How, though, is the situation maybe a bit different in the UK and for Europe? Yeah, it's a lot different in the UK and Europe. I mean, some of that strength is just not there, particularly in the UK. I mean, Europe... 
you know, the latest data points in Europe, the services sector is still showing some sort of recovery from uh, the sort of Omicron blows. But the problem there, of course, as you're seeing in the last couple of weeks is, you know, this gas supply story, you know, there is still the potential for that to be cut off. And that would plunge the European economy into economic darkness for a short while. The damage would be most grievous on those sectors that are most reliant, so paper industry, so on, on, on gas supplies. But, you know, and, and you're seeing accelerated plans to try and wean the economy off that Russian gas reliance. And in the meantime, you're seeing this kind of debate go on with sort of, you know, that you've seen the, you know, the discussion about the currency that uh, Russian companies want to be paid in and, you know, this debate about them taking up Poland and Bulgaria in the short run. So, you know, there is that sort of that concern that could really change things quite quickly. In the UK, we've had the Bank of England this week. And I mean, it's interesting, you know, the market had been expecting quite a lot of the Bank of England in the months ahead. And you and I discussed this on word on the street and other mediums uh, over time, the team have long believed that the market is being too optimistic or expecting too much of the economy in the, you know, in the idea that it can take so many rate rises without swooning, without aggregate demand really plunging. Uh, and that is proving to be the case today. So you've seen an interest rate rise uh, from a very conflicted monetary policy committee. It's not uh, not of one mind at all. But you've seen that and the market is burying sterling because what you're seeing across the bond market is that the market is taking out, uh, I think it's taken out one rate hike so far. But that is really in deference to the idea that the UK economy is too weak at the moment and for the next few months ahead to be able to take much in the way of the kind of rate rises you're going to see or should see, likely see in the US. And the UK and Europe, whereas you're seeing a peak or potentially a peak in inflation in the US, that peak looks to be a bit further away in the UK. You know, you're seeing the regulator is going to give us another gift, sadly, you know, particularly uh, the poorest households towards the end of the year. So you're not going to see, you know, a peak in inflation in all likelihood until much later on in the year. And you've got this very tough summer ahead in terms of real disposable income with these, uh, you know, oil energy prices really sapping the consumer's strength. So tough times ahead for the UK. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and that is why you're seeing very different market reactions. But happily, you know, you know, although obviously you know, we're vested in the UK economy doing well, the team is necessarily dispassionate. So, so far, that's been a good position in portfolios to be underweight in sterling relative to G10, its G10 peers. And that's making money for the portfolios today. Quite. And, you know, we, to complete the global picture, we shouldn't forget China. It's been a very tough period for China year to date. We've seen the, you know, the first material COVID outbreak since the beginning of 2020 there the economy was you know already fairly wobbly so are there any concerns of, of worsening there and what that might mean in terms of knock-on effects yeah it's a good question phil i mean that there are some very welcome signs that this current wave of covid is peaking many are sort of a little bit wary maybe understandably of the case data but if you look at mobility statistics and other kind of real-time data you can see some improvement suggesting that sort of some of the lockdowns are easing um, the economy is far from out of the woods though as we've been saying the problem highlighted by the the problems highlighted by the property market blow up of last year, you know, the Evergrande affair, they remain. And you are still seeing and will likely see for some time yet snap lockdowns as China's 
policymakers, you know, continue to battle this much more transmissible variant. I think that's the that's the main thing. But you know, China is just not as important for the world economy as uh, for the world economy and its capital markets than the U.S. And yes, we all want China to do well. We all want the world economy to do well. But it's just less important from an investor's perspective. The other point to make here, just from a portfolio perspective, is that we are actually underweight EM equities relative to DM equities. So again, China's plight is being a little bit helpful, even though we are dispassionate about the, you know, necessarily dispassionate, but that is the, you know, that is, again, has been helping portfolio performance. And I suppose, lastly, on that point, you know, are there any particular changes to positioning that you and the team, you know, are considering amongst all of what we've just talked about? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the main one that's been put on this month has been actually, we've sort of taken out a sort of net overweight to uh, developed equities and replaced it with a, a sort of relative value trade between developed market equities and, uh, and emerging market equities. So your overall package of positions in the tactical asset allocation is probably slightly negatively tilted in terms of sort of bad news being better than good. So, but not, 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 not materially so, but we just, as we entered this period, we thought that sort of strong directional views are probably not uh, the way to go. And so I've had moved into that kind of relative value area a little bit more. The other one, which we're watching very carefully, obviously, is that open sterling position has now moved some distance from where we put on the trade. So it's just one to watch. And I think that there's a lot of data coming up. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world economy in the coming months outside of the unpredictable unknowns of Ukraine. You've got giant forces pushing and pulling the global economy and you've got this central bank context we have not seen for decades. So it is it is a really interesting time to be an investor, obviously. And it's, you know, this is where the team does their best work. So that's that's the good bit. But otherwise, we must hope that, uh, you know, the various people suffering, the various blows around the world economy from financial to healthcare, you know, that that is, that's something we hope moves on quickly and we get to better times. And of course, your reference to being slightly negatively tilted assumes that a client is already fully invested. So, you know, that it's absolutely not suggesting that, that we should be negative, but that no, actually it's just I think a, that's, a negative tilt to a normal position. No, Phil, that's a very, very good point to finish off on because what we, obviously the size of the positions relative to your overall asset allocation, the tactical asset allocation is tiny. Uh, we could only necessarily muster small confidence in those kind of those kinds of views. Really, it continues to be the strategic asset allocation that you need to take solace in. That's where it's got diversified commodities and all sorts of other assets to be able to smooth your journey. And that's continues to do pretty well in the current backdrop. But that's really where the meat and drink of your portfolio returns is. The TAA just looks to provide a few glacé cherries, let's say. Fantastic. Thanks. Useful as always, Will. And thank you to our viewers and listeners for joining us today. If you would like to keep in touch with our views over the course of the next month, Uh, please do check us out on our podcast, Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.